Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. again everyone and welcome back to the front line with joe and joe joe pasillo as always joined by joe resinello and once more dear brothers and sisters let us go in to the breach on the veritas catholic radio network 1350 on your am dial 103.9 on your fm dial spreading the truth of the catholic faith to the new york city metropolitan area we always ask that you download the app the veritas catholic radio network mobile app so you have access to all of our station's content and if you like joe and i you like what we do we have our social media show which goes live uh every monday night uh, across social media platforms, but you'll mainly find us uh, at the front line with Joe and Joe, the front line with Joe and Joe on YouTube, at least for now until they kick us off. Um, and, and today we're, we're, we're close. close. We're close. Lots of strikes going on. Uh, you know, uh, we we're, we're, I didn't think we were so obnoxious, Joe, but evidently YouTube thinks we are. Anyway, today uh, we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Dr. Edward Fazer. Um, and many of you out there know Dr. Fazer. We're going to be discussing his book. Joe, you talk about going into the breach, okay? Talk talk about race in America. You find yourself way in the breach, dodging bullets from all sides. And that's what Dr. Fazer is doing, too, in his new book, All One in Christ, a Catholic critique of racism and critical race theory. So this is going to be a great conversation. Now, as I mentioned, Dr. Fazer is familiar to a lot of our audience members, but just in case, uh, Dr. Fazer is a professor of philosophy at Pasadena City College in Pasadena, California. He was called by the National Review one of the best contemporary writers on philosophy. He is the author of many books, including Five Proofs of the Existence of God, By Man Shall His Blood Be Shed, and The Last Superstition, A Refutation of the New Atheism, Aquinas, and Scholastic Metaphysics. So Dr. Edward Fazer, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe, brother. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. With that, Joe Resinello. Doc, we always start with a prayer in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O oh most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O oh Mother, the word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us. Amen. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Doc, I'll be honest. Um, Veritas is a very unique platform. They let us talk about things like this, critical race theory. We've talked about gender ideology with professor from Catholic University. This is a very important conversation. We had the same conversation briefly with Father Jeffrey Kirby in South Carolina. He had very similar views um, as you do. He's a phenomenal priest. Um, and he also is a courageous man, and you're a very courageous person because this is something here you are, you're teaching in academia. It's, to be honest with you, I'm going to toot my own horn. I work in the corporate sphere, so does Joe. I mean, these are the type of conversations, frankly, that people don't want to have, but they're truthful. And we're going to expose this for what it is, because to be honest with you, I think it's racism. I'm going to call it right the way it is. This is racism. 
Why is the church, first of all, against racism? It clearly is. Let's break it down as per teaching, as per doctrine. Yeah, there are two basic reasons, and they have to do with natural law on the one hand and uh, uh, revealed theology on the other. So the first has to do with the fact that all human beings of whatever race have the same nature. We are, uh, as Aristotle put it, and St. Thomas Aquinas building on Aristotle put it, we are rational animals. So unlike uh, everything else in the created world, we have the power of reason, we have intellects, and as a result, we have free choice. And that's true of whatever race, so we have the same uh, common nature, and having the same common nature, we have the same basic rights and duties and so forth. So we have the same moral stature. Uh, that's one part of the church's uh, uh, reasons for condemning racism. And the other one is that we're all called to the same supernatural end. We're all called to the beatific vision to spend eternity with God in heaven. Uh, we may not all realize that as individuals, if we, uh, you know, we don't live uh, uh, good lives and don't repent of our sins and so forth. But that has nothing to do with race. And those of, of every race are called to this same supernatural end in, uh, in heaven. Um, and so because of both our natural uh, and our supernatural end or purpose for which uh, God made us, uh, all human beings have the same moral status before God. That's the fundamental grounds for the church's condemnation of racism. And as I emphasize in the book, it runs much deeper than anything that uh, natural science, uh, biology, and so forth could tell us and much deeper than anything that natural science could undermine. So the, the foundations of the church's critique of ra racism are theological and metaphysical rather than scientific. That makes them not less secure, but more secure, more solid, more deep uh, than any alternative uh, critique of racism could be. Dr. Edward Fazer is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're discussing his new book, All One in Christ, A Catholic Critique of Racism and Critical Race Theory from Ignatius press dr Faisal, tell me if i have my history correct okay because one thing i get tired of you uh you wrote a book on atheists i'm i say on the show all the time so it's not a shock to our audience um I, you know i despise these guys the new atheists sam harris and the rest of them one of their things is they try to suggest that the catholic church as an institution has always been racist um one of the clubs they use is they say that um, you know, uh, Catholic Church was complicit in slavery uh, and along the lines of whether it comes to race, uh, teaching on racism uh, and slavery. Correct me if I'm wrong in my history. Um, back in the 15th, early 15th century, I believe it was Pope Eugene IV condemned racism. There were, there, or excuse me, slavery. Um, there were, there were um, I believe, Portuguese Catholics that were enslaving uh, some of the or taking as slaves some of the indigenous people of the Canary Islands. The Pope shut it down. And from my understanding, and I'm asking you to correct me if I'm wrong, over time, the church had a clear and consistent teaching on slavery. And uh, so I wanted to ask you, number one, to enlighten our audience about that, because, again, I'm tired of the lies they get told about the church in regards to that. And also, what are some of the other teachings over the over the course of time on the church's view on the evil of racism? I know that's a long question, uh, but I'm going to throw it over to you. Yeah, well, this is this is something I document in the book, and it's important to emphasize that um, the, the book uh, provides generous documentation of all the claims I make. Uh, generous quotations both from church sources and from um, uh, writers on critical race theory. So the reader can see that I'm not making any of this up. This is uh, this is all grounded in actual documentation. And where the question you asked is concerned, the documentation has to do with the fact that for 500 years consistently, uh, the church and the popes uh, condemned the slave trade 
and condemned the the race the racist ideology that underlay the slave trade and was was used to attempt to justify it. And so popes like the one you mentioned uh, consistently thundered against this practice. You had in um, Catholic theology what became the dominant position was that uh, the American Indians and uh, Africans and so forth shared the same human nature as uh, the European colonial powers, as, as uh, citizens of those powers, and thus could not be treated as if they were mere property, could not be stripped of their own property, uh, of their own liberty and so forth. Now, um, naturally you had uh, Catholics who disobeyed this teaching, just as you always have Catholics who disobey different parts of the, uh, the church's teaching, whatever parts happen to be unpopular in any era in history, but that was the teaching. Uh, the church, the, the popes uh, condemned these practices in no uncertain terms consistently for uh, 500 years. And so you get people say things like, well, you know, the church is a latecomer to this, is a latecomer to condemning racism and condemning slavery. And that, you know, this happened at, at, at the earliest, maybe in the late 19th century with Leo XIII, and then only really seriously with Vatican II. And that's just based on complete ignorance. Um, the, the, it was pope after pope after pope for centuries. Uh, raise this issue and condemn the practice, even though it took some time for these practices actually to be wiped out. But that was not because of the church's teaching. That was despite the church's teaching. That was in, in opposition uh, to the church's teaching. I want to hand it over to Joe, but what's always struck me about that, the same people that that beat up on the church and, and you know, because individual Catholics disregarded church teaching and say, aha, you know, uh, you know, look at that, right? Look at those Catholics are the same ones that would applaud Catholics that dissent uh, or, or, or don't accept church teaching on abortion, which I, which I think is kind of ridiculous on the surface when you think about it. Um, yeah. Joe Racinello. I guess a good place. Let's define some terms. What is critical race theory? Number one, mm -hmm. you know, pure definition. Um, can a Catholic support it, number two, and does it, number three, run contrary to social teaching, the social teaching of the church? Because some may say it does not. I would say it does, as well as our call to follow Jesus Christ. So those three points define, can a Catholic support, does it run contrary to the social teaching of the church? Yeah, so as to the first question, I would characterize critical race theory as the idea that racism uh, uh, absolutely permeates every nook and cranny of uh, Western society and even the attitudes and ways of thinking of, uh, of every citizen of Western society in ways that they're not even aware of. So it's critical race theory is itself working with an extremely broad conception of racism. So most people think, for example, when they hear the word racism, they think of things like cross burnings and the Ku Klux Klan. They think of segregation. They think of South Africa. Uh, under apartheid, they think of uh, slavery in the American South before the Civil War, and so on. And what the what critical race theory says is, even if you got rid of all of that, even if you got rid of all overt or um, explicit uh, racist attitudes and explicit race, racist practices, you would barely have scratched the surface of racism. That um, whiteness, as they put it, uh, which they characterize as being of its very nature hostile to people of color. Um, that um, that that it, it defines a mentality that is inherently uh, oppressive, that is inherently uh, hostile, and that manifests itself in ways that those who harbor this so-called racism are not even aware of. You have concepts like, for example, implicit bias and microaggressions, 
what are these? Well, a micro, the idea of a microaggression is the idea of um, a racist act that's so subtle that the person committing it is even aware that he or she is committing it. Uh, implicit bias is the idea of bias against those of other races that's so subtle that the person who harbors it is not, not aware that he or she harbors it. And it's really only the critical race theorists who can unpack and, and identify these alleged examples of racism. And indeed, this, is, this shows you how radical this idea is. For critical race theory, traditional civil rights discourse, the idea that the law should be colorblind, should not pay attention to the skin color of its citizens, that, um, uh, that there are common standards of rationality, of rational discourse and argumentation that we can all appeal to in order to settle our disagreements and so forth, um, that the law should not discriminate between uh, individuals on the basis of race and so forth. For critical race theory, all of that is actually a mask and an aid and comfort to racism. And that to redress alleged uh, injustices, inequities and so forth, uh, the critical race theory view is that governments should discriminate on the basis of race and should discriminate against whites and in favor of people of color. Uh, that government should not be colorblind that there are no common rational standards that we can all appeal to, that we can't get outside our, our, the racial lenses through which we look at the world and so forth. So this, it's a very radical and really paranoid view of the world that pits uh, whiteness and so-called white supremacy and white privilege and so forth against the entire rest of the world, that the, the white race is somehow uniquely oppressive and the great, um, uh, the great villain, you might say, in the story of modern uh, Western history. Now, can Catholics accept this view? I would say absolutely not. Um, and the, uh, it's, it's clear from existing parts of the church's social teaching that this cannot be accepted by a Catholic. So, for example, um, you have in the history of the church and in the, in the consistent teaching of the popes a condemnation of the Marxist idea that uh, society is made up of inherently hostile classes an oppressive uh, ruling class and an oppressed uh, working class. Um, on the church's teaching, the different parts of society, the different groups that make up society ought to be seen as being in partnership, as functioning together like parts of the body, say, and has consistently condemned this idea that it's made up of inherently hostile uh, groups. Now, if that's true of, of, of classes, it can hardly be less true of race. Because critical race theory essentially takes this Marxist uh, analysis that tries to interpret all uh, human social interaction in terms of these inherently hostile classes, it translates it in terms of race, just replaces race for class and sees society and, and the story of society as a conflict between inherently hostile races, uh, the white race versus everybody else uh, who are the victims of this race and so forth. So for the very same reason the church condemns this sort of uh, analysis when it comes to Marxism, it would follow that it condemns it in the case of critical race theory. You also Dr. Edward Fazer. Yeah. Oh, go, no, well, here's, but, but talk to our audience. What role, did, what role did Harvard play in this, the critical legal studies department at Harvard? Because, and the reason why I bring it up is, um, is because, you know, American taxpayers, Joe and I talk about it on the show all the time. We get, I think we give Harvard a billion dollars a year of federal money that comes out of our pockets. And this type, didn't this, now again, I could be wrong. I'm asking you to, to, I'm asking, the critical legal studies department at Harvard 
over the course of several decades are the ones that developed this on a more general Marxist level, which is now being applied on the level of race. Am I wrong about that? Well, so what you have, and this this is um, this brings us to a, a current talking point among uh, proponents of critical race theory, where they try to say exactly that, oh, not just that it originated, but that's all it is. That critical race theory, it's just a legal theory that no one outside a, a, a university seminar seminar room would ever encounter, and it has no influence on uh, curricula in high schools and and grade schools and so on and so forth. That's kind of a talking point. Um, it did it, it did indeed originate in uh, law schools and uh, law departments in the way you're describing, and did originate as a kind of technical academic legal theory. But if you if you look at the works of critical race theorists themselves. Um, they will emphasize that it soon spread beyond that and ended up being an approach that was applied in the different humanities and social sciences and in departments of education and, um, and then beyond that to uh, political activism. So it, it did begin as a kind of technical legal theory, but it didn't stop with that. that only, so uh, one of the, the, the sort of talking points that defenders of critical race theory like to say is um, that um, you know, it's ridiculous to suppose that, that uh, critical race theory is being taught in schools precisely because it's a technical academic theory, right? Well, that's a little like saying that, well, Thomism is just a technical metaphysical theory. So it's ridiculous to think that it has any influence on what the average churchgoer hears at, mm -hmm. at mass or that it has any influence on what popular apologetics, popular apolog uh, uh, Christian apologists have to say. Well, of course, uh, it's, you know, that there's a, an element, you might say, of Thomism as a, as a broad uh, worldview that's confined to academia, but there are also popularizations of it. And in the same way, and by Thomism, for your listeners who aren't familiar with I'm talking about the, the philosophy and theology of Thomas Aquinas. And in the same way, uh, sure, you had critical race theory begin as, a, as an academic movement, uh, but its influence soon spread far beyond that. And writers like Ibram Kendi and uh, Robin DeAngelo uh, who are you know the kind of the public faces of this uh, of this ideology are essentially popularizing what began as uh, as this um, uh, academic movement, and they're getting paid and they're getting paid a boatload of money to do it too. Just to, oh just, sure, to, to just throw it out. I, I listen. I couldn't I couldn't afford him or Kendi to come and speak at any institution. That's right. uh, Doctor Edward Face must be the richest uh, oppressed man in the world. <laughs> I was going to say, Joe and I say on the show all the time, Dr. Fazer, if you want to be a good communist, the measure of whether how good a communist you are is how much money you have in the bank. Um, whether it's Ibram Kendi, Robin DiAngelo, the founder of Black Lives Matter, Fidel Castro died a billionaire. I don't know how a communist revolutionary dies a billionaire, but he he managed to do that somehow. Uh, Dr. Edward Fazer is with us on the front line with Joe and Joe. We're discussing his book, Out from Ignatius Press. Remember, we want you to buy the book, but we also want you to buy and support our Catholic publishers so i'm sure it's available at other uh, outlets and dr Faisal will let us know but ignatius press is where you could buy it um all one in christ a catholic critique of racism and critical race theory joe resinello you mentioned ibram kendi um as you know he's a principal theorist for uh, crt um this is what he said i'm going to quote him the only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. And in your book, Doc, you basically say that critical race theory is far from the remedy for racism. Please discuss that. First of all, that statement is sickening. 
You know, so many people could listen to my voice right now. I'm married to an African-American woman, and so is Joe. I have five interracial kids, uh, biracial kids. Um, And I'm a racist because I disagree with that statement. And I will say it boldly and loudly. That is a disgusting statement. And the whole entire country should be disgusted by that. That's number one. Number two, it clearly is not the answer to our problem because there are racists in America. Let's be honest. Clearly, there are people who are racist. I grew up with them. Let's be truthful. We all did. But to say that the whole country is racist is a lie and is disgusting. So please comment first on Mr. Kendi's statement and also please state how in your book that CRT clearly isn't the remedy for racism in America. Yeah, well, the answers to those questions are, are closely linked together because um, what you have in, and this is reflected in that line, those lines from Kendi that you quoted, what you have in critical race theory is this idea that the clearest um, manifestation of the so-called racism that they claim to identify is inequity. And inequities have to do with any sort of uh, uh, difference, say, in wealth, income, or representation, different fields and so forth between uh, racial or ethnic groups. So if, if a certain, if people of a certain race make up 10% of the population of a country, but they make up less than 10% of the stockbrokers in that country, say, for thinkers like Kennedy, that's racism, period. Not, end of story. And if you suggest that, well, no, it may reflect uh, all kinds of other factors. It may reflect uh, cultural differences between groups. Well, no, that is itself a racist claim, so people like Kennedy say. And this is the foundation or the grounds or the rationalization for this policy of his that you just described, uh, where he claims that we need discrimination in order to remedy these so-called uh, inequities. The thing is this, though, that the, this is a, a policy, of course, that has no end. There's no end game for the critical race theory uh, policy recommendations. There's nothing, you know, insofar as you have any sort of uh, differentials in, in uh, representation in, in uh, professions, in, um, in uh, wealth and income and so forth, uh, this just means there's more racism to be gotten rid of. Well, given the way human life is, you always find differences of all kinds between groups. So this is a, an open-ended program that has no end, uh, no end game, no end in sight. Kendi also says um, in, in the same book that you're quoting from that if these um, alleged remedies for racism, uh, if the, the reverse discrimination he advocates doesn't work, well, we just keep trying until something does work. Uh, the theory is made so that nothing will possibly falsify it. It makes no predictions that, uh, that can be tested uh, it's it's basically um, a, a kind of strange metaphysics rather than a than a social scientific theory, and it's one that has no empirical evidence in its favor. And as I say, the so-called remedies are open-ended, uh, so that we'll never get to a point really where the critical race theory would say, "Oh, you know, we're done. Everything's basically we've essentially got a just society now." But Dr. Faser, you mentioned that, that at their heart, these people are Marxists. So that to me, the, the obvious question is, but as Marxists, don't they want to perpetuate violence and hatred because that perpetuates strife? And let's face it, Marxists feed on strife. Listen, if everybody stood around and actually did what we're supposed to do, uh, you know, in, uh, in regards to racism, which is to look at the, at the way Dr. Fazer is presenting it, which is all one in Christ, 
and recognizing other people as human beings that are worthy of the respect and dignity that all human beings are, then guess what? There wouldn't be any problem. Now, let me take that back. There will always be problems. But this wouldn't be one of them. But it strikes me that based on what you just said, well, the Marxist relies on strife. That, 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 that's how they try to amass more power to themselves. If there's civil strife, if there's hatred of one group over another, does it, I guess the larger question is, or, or the specific question is, doesn't a perpetuation of this by, let's say, Ibram Kendi saying, well, it's really never going to be resolved, or that's just something that'll happen in the future, maybe. Isn't that kind of what they want? Well, I think, I mean, you could, uh, you could speculate about the different motives of different, uh, of different um, proponents of the view. But that's certainly the effect of the view, whatever their intentions, whatever they claim to be their intentions, the, the very nature of the theory is such that it has that implication, just as Marxism does. And the, and the, only, the, the main difference between them being that the, there's a, this obsession with race in the critical race theory model, where the Marxist emphasizes economics, but the same mechanism is present in both. This idea that the, the groups that make up society, classes in the case of the Marxist and races in the case of the critical race theorists are of their very nature inherently hostile to one another. Now, if that's the case, then you have these groups together, you're never gonna have an end of conflict. And of course, the critical race theory analysis only makes the conflict worse because it teaches people to look for racism where they, where nobody who doesn't uh, read critical race theorists would see it, right? Uh, the idea of a microaggression or of implicit bias, it's so subtle that only the critical race theorists can be able to claim to see it. So for the critical race theorists, even traditional liberals, right, sort of, you know, New Deal era, great society uh, era liberalism, that's itself just a, a further uh, manifestation of racism. And it helps keep, you know, the white supremacist order in place. So even people who think of themselves as hostile to racism and wanting to fight racism and supporting uh, Martin, Luther uh, Martin Luther King's vision and so forth, for the critical race theorists, oh, no, no, that's racism, too, uh, because those people don't know how deep it goes. They're not aware of their own racist attitudes and so forth. Well, that's a recipe for perpetual conflict. And as with Marxism, the end game in critical race theory, as I say, is left extremely vague. What exactly is it going to look like? Well, there will be no inequities, right? Uh, really of any kind, you know, what, what exactly would that look like? Well, for the, 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 the interest of the critical race theorists, just as with the Marxists, is less in that than in the, the the sorts of power that this will give the adherence of critical race theory here and now over other human beings in implementing this paranoid vision. Doc, Doc, Joe, we have about two minutes left before the break, so I'm going to let you kick it off uh, after the break. Let me stay on this for a second. Dr. Fazer, isn't that why? See, this is why I love being Catholic, because we don't because we look at things on a larger scale. We look at the broader picture, okay? Um, isn't this the story of history? Forget about Marx and class struggle and, and all the nonsense. Isn't this the story of history? One group oppresses and brutalizes another when they have power, and then when the other power, the other group gets power, then they do it. And it goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. You see it all throughout history, okay? I think that would be a more appropriate way of describing history, is that, as, as Bishop Robert Barron said, he goes, nobody ever just decides at one point to just sit down and maybe talk about forgiving one another. And how about that for a good place to start? Okay, I'm paraphrasing him. I saw this is a video from a while ago. Talk about that. You have, we have about a minute, Dr. Fazer, is that that's how violence and, 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 and strife in the world perpetuate itself, because everybody wants revenge on the group that oppressed them. Go. 
Yeah, well, I mean, critical race theory is exactly the opposite of the, you know, turn the other cheek uh, mentality. It's not looking for forgiveness. It's looking for the endless ferreting out of alleged injustices that no one's perceived before now, and that only the critical, only someone wearing the, you know, the critical race theory goggles could see. And as you say, this um, oppression of one group by another, or injustices by one committed by one group against another, that is sadly the story of human history. That's true of every society that's ever been. And this is one of the other uh, uh, defects of critical race theory: is it pretends that somehow Western civilization is uniquely oppressive. When in fact, it's precisely in Western civilization that we can have this sort of discussion. It's where uh, the idea of a common human nature and um, the Christian idea that we're all called to the same supernatural end. Uh, it's precisely in that context that the idea that racism was a problem and something that we ought to uh, be opposed to arose. So this, this idea that somehow you know Western civilization is uniquely oppressive, I mean, first of all, uh, every civilization, unfortunately, has had oppression, and Western civilization actually less than others. Mm. Dr. Edward, this is a great conversation. Jojo, I hope we don't get in too much trouble. Um, All One in Christ, a Catholic critique of racism and critical race theory. That is the book, the author who is with us today, Dr. Edward Fazer, and we're discussing that. Please buy the book at Ignatius Press. Uh, you're listening to us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. So we are coming right back for another great segment with Dr. Edward Fazer. Please stay with us. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Rossinello. We are way in the breach with Dr. Edward Fazer. We're discussing his new book, All One in Christ, a Catholic critique of racism and critical race theory that is available at Ignatius Press. We encourage you to go out and buy the book. And with that, Joe Rossinello. Doc, I, I want to start this segment with basically the discussion of you can't disagree with critical race theory in the public square. Um, Again, my wife is of Haitian descent. She does not believe in systemic racism across America, yet she's labeled even a person of color, never mind three white guys. I mean, immediately you're labeled a racist, a white supremacist. I've been someone, I had this conversation two years ago publicly in social media, Someone I worked with previously who was from Jamaica tried to dox me mm-hmm. because I disagreed yeah. with critical race theory as a systemic issue, as in across the country. And I'll basically give an example. How can America, who elected an African-American to be president, have systemic racism from Hawaii to Maine? How could my wife, who grew up poor, one of 12 children, put herself through college, went to one of the best business schools in America, got an MBA from Stern Business School at NYU, and achieved? How could a country that is systemic racism possibly produce two people like that? I'm beside myself. Are there racist? Absolutely. But last I checked, this is America. And you can have a discourse and a conversation. But sadly, you cannot on this subject. Address that, please. Yes. So, so 
This is another uh, really destructive uh, feature of critical race theory is that it's committed to a kind of irrationalism or the, impo or the impossibility of there being any objective rational standards by which people who disagree on moral, political, and other matters can discuss and settle their differences. And here, once again, you have a, a, a close parallel to at least the, the more vulgar forms of Marxism, right? So um, in, in Marxist rhetoric, traditionally, the idea is that anybody who comes out with some sort of criticism of Marxism, well, this just reflects, you know, the, the interests of the ruling class and whoever presents these sort of criticisms are instruments of the ruling class by which they, uh, they uh, maintain their oppression over the rest of us and so forth. And ideas end up being evaluated in terms of what interest they serve. Okay, that was kind of a, you know, a, a, mar a, a common Marxist rhetorical tactic. But you have the same sort of thing in critical race theory. And indeed, you have the idea in critical race theory that it's impossible uh, in principle to get outside the perspective of whatever race you happen to represent, whatever race you happen to come from, so that there's no objective standard by which different groups can again settle, discuss and settle their differences. Now, if that's the case, if there's no objective, universal, rational standard we all have in common, for one thing, if you follow this through consistently, then there's not going to be any common human nature that makes us all the same and gives us the same basic dig dignity and so forth. So that's, that's going to have very problematic moral implications. But you also have this kind of irrationalism where there's where rational argument and debate and discussion and evidence is not how we settle disputes. What, it, what we really are left with is a war of wills. And it's just a matter of who has the power and who can impose his will on everyone else. Now, this is obviously something that no Catholic can, can accept. I mean, the church has explicitly condemned this sort of attitude as well. This is one of the elements of what was called liberation theology that Pope John Paul II and uh, then Cardinal Ratzinger, who became Pope Benedict XVI, uh, condemned in no uncertain terms in the 1980s precisely because, well, in part, there were actually a number of reasons, but one of the reasons was this, because of this kind of irrationalism or denial of the possibility of objective rational discourse uh, between people who disagree on matters of politics. You see the same kind of thing in critical race theory. We were talking about Ibram Kendi earlier, and Kendi explicitly says that he's not interested in trying to persuade people uh, because he thinks that doesn't work, which of course it doesn't because most people when they hear this stuff, they think it's insane because it is insane. And they don't want to, they, you know, they, they don't want to accept uh, critical race theory when they understand what it actually is. Kennedy doesn't care about that anyway. He says that what he wants is a movement that's, I, I, this is almost an exact quote, that's propelled by nothing but the craving for power, right? He uses the word craving uh, for power to implement the so-called critical race theory vision. And so not only does he not pretend that he can persuade others, he's not interested in it. He doesn't think that's what politics is about. He doesn't think that's what social life is about. It's not about persuading. It's not about people who see themselves as fellow citizens that are committed to a common project and a common home and so forth. It's rather a conflict between inherently hostile groups where the only way to settle the conflict is for one of those groups to impose its will on the other, to gain political power in order to enable them to do that. How can that sort of vision be anything but divisive? and lead to greater hostility between the races rather than less. What, 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 let me it's put so it like disturbing. this. That is so I, it, it really, it really is Very when you think about it. And then when yeah. you call them a Marxist, 
and you say this is Marxism. This really the racism the, 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 using race is just a means by which they it, it, their Marxism manifests itself. When you talk about craving for power, Doctor Fazer, when when saying I won't even say conservative people, I'm just going to say sane people. When we say sane people need to understand what what Marxists or or how Marxists think, what their ultimate goal is. You just alluded to it about more power craving more power so that they can implement this stuff. And what is implementing this stuff to gain them more power over society. When you talk to same people, again, my answer is a very, very Norkish one. We're from Newark, New Jersey, Joe and I, okay, which is just say no. The answer is no. That's yeah. it. In other yeah. words, whether it comes to, we mentioned Harvard earlier, whether it comes to Harvard, if you're getting one thin dime of federal money, okay, you get no more money until you, yes, we don't want you to do what conservatives always do, just kind of, you know, tailor it back a little, just bring it back a little. No, if you mention critical race theory, you are cut off from federal funds. Now, I know I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent. There are things we could do, but underlying what we do has to be our goal, which is to stand in front of them and say, the answer is no. You are not teaching this to our children. I don't care what Marxist theories you come up with. The answer is no, and stand firm in that. Your thoughts, Dr. Fazer. No, I, I agree with that completely. And this is one reason I wrote the book. I, The subject is not one that I'm terribly interested in for its own merits, because working on this book and reading this stuff, it was it was actually depressing because the worldview is so irrational and also so malicious. I mean, the, the hatred and hostility and bitterness and resentment just drips off the page when you read someone like Kendi or someone like D'Angelo. That it's just it's an unpleasant experience to have to read this garbage. It's a very low intellectual quality. It's not like, you know, you're learning. Any, it's not like, you know, if you if you read, a, you know, as, as an academic philosopher, I often have to read the works of people I disagree with. But sometimes you read someone you disagree with and you learn from it. Uh, you're encountering a brilliant mind who, you know, has gone on the wrong, on, the wrong, on the wrong track, but you can still learn things and get certain insights and have your own views challenged and so forth. That's not the case with critical race theorists, and especially with the popularizers, people like Ibram Kendi and and Robin D'Angelo. This stuff is a very low intellectual quality, but it's also very morally degenerate. I mean, it just exhibits this kind of hostility uh, that is that is inherently divisive. And um, for that reason, uh, as you say, people have to simply say no to this. There can be no compromise with it because we're dealing with people who themselves refuse to compromise. They don't see themselves as, again, engaged in a kind of a common discussion or common project with their fellow citizens where there's a give and take and an understanding that people don't always agree on every detail. They demand absolute agreement. If you don't agree with them, you're a racist and you must be stopped. You must be squashed. Let and me ask you something right there, Dr. Fay. Let me ask you something. Yeah. Isn't that one of their, so for our audience to know what they're at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, isn't that one of their tactics is that any, any, again, I'm going to use the word, any sane response to this, which would be like you just said, <laughs> let's have a debate. Let's sit down. Let's let's discuss. Oh, no, that's a racist Western idea. Like anything you might come up with to try to appease them in some way. Again, not again, saying no to their theory, but to try to say, well, let's discuss it. Let's discuss it in public. Let's let's discuss it at the universities. OK, well, no, they're racist. Let's have a debate. Debate is racist. Anything you propose they're just gonna. They're just gonna say, is a racist, uh, you know, a, a, a racist idea. So we don't have to listen to that. You, if you want to prove your anti-racism, you just have to listen to us and shut your mouth. Your comments. That's right. No, 
and this is the, there's nothing, um, you know, people who are committed to, to uh, critical race theory like to like to accuse others of using dog whistles, right? Which is supposed to be sending subtle messages without saying what you really mean. Well, uh, critical race theorists now, when they you know when they appear on talk shows and so forth, if Hendy appears on a, a talk show, he's a bit cagey. But if you read what he actually writes, there's no dog whistles there at all. It's all explicit. Or if you read Robin D'Angelo, what she writes, it's all explicit. Robin D'Angelo says in her book *White Fragility* that um, you know among the uh, the manifestations of the of the racism and the white privilege and the white fragility, uh, and white fragility is her term for resistance to uh, critical race theory, right? Among the, the manifestations of this kind of racism is, quote, argumentation, right? So if you actually try to debate with her and, and argue with her about whether this view is correct, that's itself racism. <laughs> and what you should be saying, she says, instead is thank you. She explicitly says this, that whites should be thanking her and other uh, proponents of this view for uncovering their racism. And that this work of, you know, you, you find these phrases among people who accept this stuff. It's like a cult repeating their, their, their common buzzwords. But you need to, quote, do the work, right, of uncovering your own hidden racism that so, runs so deep and you don't even know it, right? And so she says whites have to be made permanently uncomfortable and ill at ease, right? And so this is, um, this is a movement that does not want to discourse or dialogue with others it wants obedience and the refusal refusal of obedience must be remedied with just more power by which to squash down any opposition this is why you know this is one of the other uh, uh, rhetorical tricks that that uh, critical race theorists like to play is they say well critical race theorists it's really just about teaching history right that that's all that it's just teaching history right and who could oppose that so people who aren't familiar with the stuff who haven't actually read it think oh that's all it is then how could any reasonable person object to teaching about the history of racism and history of slavery and so forth? But that's not what it is. It's the, even, the, the, even the parts of uh, critical race theory that involve the teaching of history involve teaching it through this paranoid lens. It's like if a Marxist was teaching history, but entirely through the lens of Marxism, or a Nazi was teaching history, interpreting it through the lens of national socialist theory. And you, know, you brought up Marxism and the parallels with critical race theory. This is the really scary thing which is that there's a much closer parallel between critical race theory and national socialism, Nazism, than there is with even with Marxism. Because Marxists, at least traditionally, were not interested in race. They thought race was not important. They were interested in class, workers of the mm. world unite and so forth. Who was it in the 20th century that was obsessed with race and who took the view that there's one race in particular that is the enemy of the rest of humankind and that needed to be quashed, needed to be extinguished. It was the Nazis. Mm. And if you take, if you if you read, you know, the works of Kendi or the works of D'Angelo or any of these writers, and you just re replace references to white supremacy and whiteness and so forth uh, with words like Jewishness, say, it would read just like a work of, of Nazi propaganda. And with all the ugliness that, that involves and all the divisiveness that, that involves. And that's the, that's the closer parallel and that's that's a you know that's the sort of thing that should truly scare people, uh, because that's that's you know that's where this sort of thinking leads. If you Absolutely. take basis to be inherently hostile to one another. Yeah, Dr. Edward Faze is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. His new book is All One in Christ: A Catholic Critique of Racism and Critical Race Theory. Joe Resinello.
clearly in America, there have been injustices to African Americans. I mean, that is in our history. But it seems to me, just by listening to what you're saying, doctor, is there, like, you could say, like, in the South, there were lynchings, and there were. But now, the tide, the tables have turned. And they're almost like trying to lynch innocent people who did nothing wrong. Like, I'll just use me, for example. I'm not perfect. My family wasn't even in this country during the slavery times. They were in Italy, raking dirt in southern Italy. They were farmers. Yet somehow, because I am white, I'm bad. I did something to you. I didn't do anything to you. My father grew up next to you in a city in Newark, New Jersey, played basketball on the Barringer basketball team with blacks and whites together, was a barber, was a working poor man, and educated his children. And I married an African-American woman. But somehow, I'm a bad man because I'm white. How could that possibly be okay in America or anywhere? How? I don't know. I don't know how anyone could look in my face and possibly say that seriously, but they are. Your thoughts. Am I wrong? <laughs> I mean, am I, or am I just a crazy person? Well, you are a crazy person, but we're going <laughs> to let that slide for our for, for interview today. <laughs> what, what you're appealing to is common sense and the, ev the evidence of everyday human experience. I mean, normal people who don't read this goofy literature see things exactly the way you describe them. That's why you, you, you can't defend critical race theory by appealing to actual evidence. You need these reams of, of abstract theory to train yourself to see racism where it doesn't exist. It's like somebody who's, you know, I don't know, you know it's like somebody who, who's watched The Matrix too many times and starts interpreting everything he's seeing as uh, he's, it's just part of the, the dream world that I live in, right? and interprets the actual evidence in light of the theory rather than the other way around. People whose minds are immersed in this literature are in a similar situation. They, they, don't, uh, they don't live in the real world. They read this theory into everything, and nothing's allowed to count against it, and everything is interpreted as evidence for it. Everything is interpreted as evidence for racism. But if you're looking at things objectively, the fact that this theory does not correspond to reality is um, is clear, maybe most of all from the fact that we're even having this discussion, that people who promote critical race theory are making millions of dollars selling this stuff, right? And they, they have an enormous influence on politics now. They have an enormous influence on corporate human resources departments. They have an enormous influence in education. And all of this in a supposedly racist society. If society is so deeply and systemically racist as they claim it is, how on earth critical race theorists and their popularizers have the platform they have. It's precisely because the modern West is probably the least racist society that has ever existed, that people are willing to tolerate this nonsense and let themselves be bullied into accepting it. So the very success of critical race theory as a kind of grifter movement itself undermines the claims of critical race theory, that somehow uh, Western society and American society is deeply and systemically racist. If that were true, Ibram Kendi and Robin D'Angelo would not be millionaires and would not be uh, celebrities and so on and so forth. Let me uh, ask you this, Dr. Edward Faser, joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. 
Um, am I white? Is it wrong for me to like? Is one of the tactics of of these people? Let's call them the left. It is. Well, it's the left. Okay, the radical left, if you want to say that. They they've made me a white guy, but growing up, even as even as a kid, I remembered. No, I my primary identification was Italian, Italian American. Okay, I'm Italian. I'm assuming. Are, are you German, Doctor Fazer? Are you you have German and Irish? German and Irish. So so what is it? Is it one of the tactics to lump everybody in as being a white person? When I look at it this way, Africa is predominantly black. That doesn't mean everybody, every man in Africa is a black guy. Because you have people from West Africa, you have people from South Africa, you have people from East Africa, you have people uh, further north. Same with Europe. In other words, not everybody's a white guy. I don't have much in common with a, with somebody who's French. Okay, As an American, I do. But leave it, I'm talking about, let's, let's leave it there for a second. We've yeah. allowed the left to, to turn us all into one group one target when maybe perhaps we should start asserting our ethnicity okay now we identify our common our common trait is 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 catholicism we're 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 all catholic okay but maybe we should push back on that and say i'm not a white guy i don't know who you're talking about i'm italian okay that guy's german that guy's irish that guy's english that guy's French. but i'm italian i i love your comments on that yeah no that's a good question and you know what you see here is um both an intellectual problem and a moral problem. The intellectual problem is that this shows you how crude and simple-minded the critical race theory analysis is. I mean, uh, you know, a good academic, a good philosopher, a good social scientist, um, a good intellectual generally, uh, is concerned with seeing the nuances in things and seeing the distinctions between different phenomena and different aspects of the world. And critical race theory does it precisely the opposite of that. It, it over massively oversimplifies human life. And one of the ways in which it does that is, as you say, it lumps everybody together into, you know, the category of whites and everyone else, people of color, and ignores all these differences in ethnicity and culture and history and so forth. Um, but the, the moral problem associated with that is that this, ironically, is actually far more likely to, in, to increase uh, you know, racial identity thinking among whites as, as well as among everyone else, rather than to decrease it. I mean, if you are telling uh, uh, a whole group of people, uh, millions and millions of your fellow citizens, that they are inherently evil and racist and oppressive, and that their children are beneficiaries of this evil and this racism and so forth, then naturally you're going to get a certain critical mass of people who think, well, if you're going to label that me that way, maybe I should own it. Maybe I should identify myself that way and fight back against you, right? Especially if, you know, some people are willing to swallow this stuff where, where, where it concerns only themselves, if they're blinded by ideology. But it's much harder to sell people on this kind of stuff when they realize how it's going to affect their children and the standing of their children, what their children are going to be taught in schools and what kind of jobs they're going to get and so forth. And the, the irony is that critical race theory actually threatens to increase racism uh, among every race, because everyone's going to start judging each other in terms of race, including among whites, because you're going to get people who think, if you're going to label me that way, and you're going to say I'm your enemy, then I'm going to be your enemy, right? And so it actually creates this racial identity thinking, and which is extremely dangerous and divisive. It doesn't mitigate it at all. It makes it far worse, far more likely to increase racial strife than to, than to uh, eliminate it. Joe Racinello. I'm glad you brought that up because I think this thinking hurts the African-American. Martin Luther King helped the African-American, a great American. 
I don't even call him. And he's a great American. He fought for equality. And that is the correct way to do it. I mean, he wasn't a Catholic, but he believed in God and he was a Christian. And to be honest with you, the way he approached it is how a Catholic would approach it. And many Catholics marched with him. That is, I stand behind that 100%. But this, I actually think ultimately to what you're saying is going to incite violence, which could hurt African-Americans. And that has nothing to do with the greater good. That has nothing to do with what this country is supposed to be about. But my opinion, and this is my opinion, I think this is about power. Simply and utterly, it's not about justice. Martin Luther King was about justice, and I actually think that they wouldn't stand with him. Your thoughts on that? And how hasn't that subject been come, come up? Clearly, he's a sacred cow, and he should be. He gave his life, in plain English, for a greater good. Yeah. I don't, why, like, because these two ideas are in conflict, Martin Luther King's idea of civil rights and critical race theory. Why isn't that discussed on MSNBC by Al Sharpton? I want to, I'll watch that show. Your thoughts? Yeah. Well, it's, the reason it's, I mean, it, it, there, there is exactly the incompatibility between the two visions that you describe. And the reason it's not discussed is it's just politically um, not opportune to discuss it. It's not helpful uh, for the critical race theory side to discuss it from a political point of view, so they simply don't discuss it. But of course, they're not interested in a, 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 a logical, rational analysis or back and forth anyway. If it's in their interest politically to pretend that uh, uh, the ideas of Martin Luther King are consistent with theirs, they will go along with that pretense. If it ever becomes politically useful to do the opposite, then they'll go in that direction. But you know, when you mention uh, Martin Luther King, you mentioned, and, and we have other thinkers like Friedrich Douglass, when you read these thinkers, Part of the reason they're so powerful and moving is because they address the reader as fellow human beings, as brothers. And they say, look what, you know, look what, what you're doing to us. We have the same common nature. And there are these injustices that you ought to recognize as injustices, given that we have the same common nature. We have the same interests as parents, as brothers, as sisters, fathers and mothers and so forth. And we're simply asking for just treatment. Uh, for ourselves that you would afford your own children and so forth. And that's a very powerful message precisely because you're, you're dealing with other human beings as equals, as fellow human beings, as brothers and so forth. When you read critical race theorists, it's the opposite. It's not an appeal to brotherhood. It's not an appeal to common human nature. It's basically a, a kind of manifesto of, of opposition, hostility, war and so forth. And again, the, 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 the implications are, are clear. This can only ever lead to greater uh, division. And that's exactly what's happening. And outside of the circles of intellectuals, I mean, one of the ironies here is that the people who are really peddling this stuff are, are mostly affluent white liberals. And if we're talking about uh, people of color who are working class, they're not, they're not into this stuff. They're not attracted by this stuff. This is exactly why the left is losing voters from that segment of society, or it's part of the reason anyway, because it's not the way ordinary people see the world. You have to be kind of cloistered away in a university or uh, some rich kid, you know, who's, uh, you know, living in your parents' basement, you're 30 years old or whatever, and reads this stuff and takes mm -hmm. it seriously 
as a practical way to, to do politics. People who actually work for a living, they're not of, of whatever race, they're not, uh, they're not moved by this stuff at all. And they're, they're scared by it, um, just as you and I are. Um, and it's inevitable because any, any person who's not blinded uh, by theory can see that it's a recipe for division and hostility rather than uh, any sort of reconciliation. In the last minute or so, Doc, that we have, uh, and I know this is a, t a topic in and of itself, uh, wasn't uh, Dr. King's appeal to the natural law? You mentioned it earlier. Isn't that it what was, the Catholic yeah. Church, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, proposes that we actually know something about the natural law? We have about a minute. How does all of this contradict the natural law and what you know in your heart um, is the right thing to do? Um, and uh, go ahead. I'm going to leave that with you. We have about a minute. Yeah, that's you know, in in King's famous letter from Birmingham Jail. I mean, part of the reason that that is, you know, often in uh, anthologies of introduction to philosophy classes is because it appeals to philosophical arguments and specifically philosophical arguments from the natural law tr tradition, which is the very core of uh, the Catholic intellectual tradition where thinking about morality is concerned. And critical race theory is exactly the opposite of that because it denies that there is some common set of rational standards by which uh, people from different ethnic groups and different political points of view can discuss and, and resolve their differences. It's exactly contrary to both the theory and practice uh, uh, that Martin Luther King was committed to. Dr. Edward Fazer, uh, the book is All One in Christ, a Catholic Critique of Racism and Critical Race Theory. That's out from Ignatius Press. Um, Doc, where could, uh, where could folks buy the book? They can get it at the usual online um, sources, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Probably the best way to get it, though, is from, directly from the publisher, Ignatius Press. I believe they're offering the book at a discount, uh, which provides an incentive there. And uh, so, yeah, just Google Ignatius Press uh, or do a web search for that, and you'll find the website and you'll find the book there. Absolutely. Um, and we encourage everyone out there to do so. As I said earlier, please support our Catholic authors and their publishers. Dr. Edward Fazer, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a real pleasure to have you on, and we hope to have you on in the future again to discuss some of your other books, if that's okay with you. That would be great. Thank you very much. Awesome. And thank you all out there for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Download the app, the Catholic, uh, Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app, so you have access to all of our station's content. And if you like Joe and I and what we do on social media, you can find us primarily at The Frontline with Joe and Joe on YouTube, The Frontline with Joe and Joe on YouTube. So thanks again, and remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.